I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. We're talking today about the Trinity, God being one God, singular in essence, and yet three persons, three divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God in three persons. Uh, You might have sung that hymn this last Sunday on Trinity Sunday, Uh, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity, right? Uh, And the Trinity is a tricky topic because the more we try to wrap our heads around God, the harder it is to fully understand who God is. The more we try and pin God down and put him in a box and quantify him and, uh, and categorize him, the, the faster he defies our explanations. And so we're going to talk today with someone who spends a good deal of time thinking about the Trinity and teaching about the Trinity, uh, and that is a, a Dominican friar who is also a professor of philosophy and theology at the Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology in Berkeley, California. We're going to get to him in just a little bit. And you're probably thinking, hey, you know, Trinity Sunday was last Sunday, and tomorrow is Corpus Christi. You should be talking about Corpus Christi, right? Of course, Corpus Christi was actually um, on Thursday, but it's very often moved to the Sunday. A lot of you are going to be doing uh, Eucharistic processions. I know we're going to be doing it at our parish where we're immediately after Mass, we're going to process with the Blessed Sacrament uh, around outside so that everyone in the town can go, what are these people doing? And hopefully, hopefully they'll come in and they'll actually ask us that to our face so that we can begin that conversation. But yes, we're going to, everyone's going to leave the service. Uh, instead of having a blessing to end it, we're going to actually go out and do something I've actually never done before, seen done, is that as we process around the property, we're going to stop in four locations, and Father is going to bless in the four directions, bless uh, to the north and the south and the east and the west. So I'm actually quite looking forward to it. Pray for good weather where we are and also where you are. Uh, and if there is a Eucharistic procession somewhere nearby you this Sunday, uh, make it a point to go out and participate in that. But yes, uh, we're not talking about Corpus Christi. We're talking about Trinity, which happened last week. And I I did actually want to have this conversation last week, but uh, our guest wasn't available. And this is such a good conversation that I wanted to make sure to have it. So we're going to do it. We're still within the week, right? It happened just this last Sunday. We're going to talk about Trinity today. And we've just now spent the whole of Easter talking about Christ being made present to us, his body, blood, soul, and divinity uh, through the Eucharist. And so if you really want to, to meditate on Corpus Christi Sunday, then I encourage you to go back two weeks in our archives over at OutsideTheWalls.com and look for the conversation uh, with, uh, with Dr. Feingold, Dr. Lawrence Feingold. It was a fantastic conversation as we talked about how Christ is made present to us in the Eucharist, and why Christ is made present to us in the Eucharist. So if you're just really wanting to get something figured out and kind of meditate on something for this this body, uh, Corpus Christi, the body of Christ Sunday, well, just go back a couple of weeks and take a listen. But today, 
we want to talk about who God has revealed himself to be. God comes to us as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And yet, it's not three gods. It's just one God because he revealed to us in Scripture, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one God. He repeats this over and over throughout Scripture that there is one God. And yet somehow, we have to understand that within also the confines of, of Christ's revelation to us, that obviously it's very clear that Christ is divine. Christ is God. And the Holy Spirit who he sends to us is, is one with him. So the Holy Spirit is God. And yet there's just one God. I know, stay with me. I know it gets confusing. Here we have God revealing himself to be three persons, three divine persons, and yet one God. Now we see hints of this even in the Old Testament. Of course, all the way back in Genesis, we see the, the language, the majestic we being used. And of course, it could completely be understood as just being the majestic we in a, in a um, royalty kind of way. Let us make man in our own image. You could, per, you could uh, uh, picture some uh, some British king saying, let us go, and, you know, I mean, it could be the, the, the majestic we, but it also could be a hint to us of God being three persons. We see this picture of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God hovering over the deep. Uh, and of course, that word for spirit is the same word in Hebrew as the word for breath. We see in the story of Abraham, when God appears to Abraham in this theophany, uh, this appearance, he comes as three men who come and talk to him under, uh, under the Mamre tree. And so it could just be angelic, although uh, theologians look at this not as an angelic visit, but actually as theophany, as God appearing. And here we have God appearing as three, right? And so somehow all the way even through all of Scripture, God has been trying to give us a sense, trying to reveal to us little bits at a time what he would reveal fully in Christ. Now, Thomas Aquinas would say that there are certainly some things about God that we can know purely from reason, right? We can come to the knowledge of God. We can even come to the knowledge that God is one. We can come to the knowledge that God is good. We can come to an understanding that God is the creative force in the universe, but reason alone is not enough for us to come to an understanding of the Trinity. It's something that has to be revealed to us by God, which he did through his son, Jesus Christ, and through the words of Scripture. And we'll be unpacking this in greater detail right after this break as we'll talk with Father Michael Dodd, who is a Dominican and a professor in Berkeley, California at the Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology. It's a great conversation, and you're not going to want to miss it. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter, the handles at Outside the Walls. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. 
I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. And last Sunday, we celebrated Trinity Sunday, uh, which is the day that the church takes to meditate on this mystery of, of the nature of God. And today, to help us kind of unravel that, I've often heard the, the concept that Trinity Sunday is the day that you're most likely to hear a heresy in the homily, <laughs> because the Trinity is such a hard concept for us to wrap our minds around, and, and it's so easy to try and simplify the mystery. And when we try to simplify a mystery, that's when we, when we find heresy popping up throughout the church, that the church is combated through creeds and through uh, other various documents. Today, to help us unravel that, we're talking with Father Michael Dodds, who's a Dominican friar for the province of the Most Holy Name of Jesus, which is out on the West Coast. He's a professor of philosophy and theology at the Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology in Berkeley, California. Father Michael, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you. I'm very happy to be with you. So the Trinity is is something that you uh, contemplate often and, and teach about and something that kind of is uh, an exciting topic for you. Help those of us who are terrified by it. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, no, I don't. It, the Trinity really, you know, I had a sermon I gave this past Sunday, a homily, and to try to explain the Trinity as a, a mystery of, of love, that's what it's all about. So not just a metaphysical puzzle, but uh, kind of an invitation to enter into God's own life of love, that eternal relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which we are able to to share through our baptism and through the life of grace. So really that the Trinity should be a kind of a, a, a mystery we, we ponder, but one that we're not um, shying away from, something we embrace, and becomes more of our life as we recognize the Spirit dwelling within us, leading us through Christ to the reality of God, to the Father. So it's a very dynamic sort of thing. Uh, St. Augustine was um, one of, certainly one of the great theologians of the Trinity, and he talked about, he came up with some analogies for it, but really he said that uh, the important thing is to remember that the image of the Trinity is within each one of us, and we're led by that image we're kind of drawn into the life of god and so that's really what this theology of the trinity is it's to to help us to grow in god's own life and love and we see that i think in specifically in the writings of paul as he's talking about the the father and the son and the spirit we always see uh action taking place and relationship there that you know the, the through the work of Jesus Christ, uh, we're uh, brought back into relationship with the Father by the power of the Spirit. So there's this this interplay of of how God operates within Himself in that relationship. Yes, uh-huh. that's the Trinity is sometimes talked about as within the life of God, that eternal life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that is God as such, and God who freely chooses to reveal Himself to us and to First of all, in the act of creation, creation through the Word, the Spirit dwelling over the waters, as that's pictured in the book of Genesis, but then also in the work of uh, redemption, as God freely chooses to find a way that humans can uh, reattain that life that we lost through sin, and that's through the sending of the Son and the Holy Spirit once again. So Trinity is a mystery within God, but also a mystery within human history, within our own lives as well. So both of those things go together, and I agree that that's a very dynamic sort of thing for us. We're 
gathered into the life of the Trinity. Now, the, the Trinity is such an important mystery for us in the church and, and something that the church has spent a, a good amount of energy clarifying. Uh, we're, later in the show, we're going to read from St. Athanasius, and, and he says uh, in one of his letters that upon this faith, the church is built. And if anyone were to lapse from it, he would no longer be a Christian, either in fact or in name. Uh, what is some of the, the struggle with this? I mean, obviously, the, we, we believe in one God, and that comes from the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and that's very, it's very serious because we, we are not polytheistic. We are a monotheistic religion. Uh, and, right. and yet th- the interplay of the divine person is, persons is so complex. Why did the church put so much emphasis on this doctrine? Well, I think it's right to say that we come out of that Old Testament tradition, and it's an interesting historical study, too, how the people of Israel gradually became more and more aware of the, their own monotheism, the central um, prayer of Israel, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. So but that was a kind of a gradual recognition, not just that they had one God among others, but their God was the unique, the only God, so very strong. Then we have the revelation of Christ, and he's doing things, it seems, that only God can do. He's forgiving sins, and he's um, acting in ways to, to save us, and so on. These are things that only God can do. So the church then, in the early community, struggles with that too. How do we express that? We can't have two gods. There's only one God. And yet Jesus is speaking of himself as distinct from the Father who sent him. And yet he's speaking in the way that only God can speak, doing things that only God can do. So both of those things have to be somehow true. And to try to get at that, we find it in the scripture itself when Uh, There are images used for Jesus. He is the bridegroom. Well, in the Old Testament, God was the Father, was the bridegroom. Jesus is the judge in the New Testament. Well, God in the Old Testament was the judge. So through these uh, analogies, the church is explaining who Jesus is without trying to, uh, um, while staying away from a kind of a declaration of of two gods, there's only one God. Mm -hmm. And yet, we have to affirm the divinity of Christ if we believe that Christ saved us from our sins, and only God can do that. So then Jesus sends the Spirit, and the Spirit is likewise the one who invites us to the holiness of God. Well, again, we can be made holy only by God himself, so the Spirit must also be God. So those Convictions were there, and from the beginning, the church baptizing in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The conviction is there, but kind of the theology to go behind that, to try to piece that together, to, to find a model or a way of understanding that, or at least approaching it, uh, was only a gradual thing in the life of the church. And some say that was an indication of the, um, the way the Spirit was present in the church, that that gradual enlightenment, Jesus says, I will send the paraclete who will lead you in the way of all the truth. So it's a gradual awareness of the truth of the Trinity in the community of the church, just as I think it was a gradual dawning awareness of what monotheism was for the Israelites in the Old Testament. 
And in each case, I would see that as the work of the spirit within the community, gradually bringing the people to the to the fullness of the truth. Mm-hmm. So it was something important to hang on to for the for the church, because if Jesus is not truly God and only God can save us, then we're not saved. So it's very practical, very important thing, not just a kind of mental puzzle of how do we figure this out, but quite essential to their own life and faith that we believe salvation is in Christ. So Christ must be God. Mm-hmm. We're talking today with Father Michael Dodds. So let's take a look at some of the, the heresies that sprung up and and what they miss uh, and what we can learn from them about the true nature of, of God and the Trinity. So let's first take a look mm-hmm. at the, the concept of, of <clears throat> modalism, that that mm-hmm. God is acting in different modes like water, ice, and, and steam, and that given the circumstances, he manifests in different ways. And so it's still one God with, with three different modes of relating. So, mm-hmm. of course, the church has condemned that as a heresy, uh, but I still hear people use that kind of, of analogy with the ice and water. What, what do we miss about the nature of God when we talk about that, that specific analogy? Right. Uh, I think we have to be true to the way that Jesus speaks himself about his relationship to the Father, and there's a dialogue there in Jesus' own prayers. Father, if it be possible, let this cup be removed from me. So it seems like uh, there really is a distinct identity of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit there in the New Testament, the way that is revealed. And so the church wants to hang on to that. And I think it's if um, it's like trying to hold together these different aspects of the, the mystery that uh, it'd be easy enough if we say, well, sure, there's just one God and God appeared in three different ways, you know, just like that God appears to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre in the Old Testament in the appearance of three men or three angels. But this is simply an appearance, you know, and so we could understand that. That's not too hard to deal with. But that isn't, it seems, what the revelation is that's given in Christ, a real distinction of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, a real threefold community of love. And so to try to hold on to that, and inevitably the Church finds ways of um, imagining that or finding models for that, which are always inadequate, but some more inadequate than others. So what Sibelius came up with, uh, modalism, the Sibelius uh, uh, living around 217, the year 217, he um, came up with that idea, and that's a a simplification that allows us to deal with it, but it leaves something out. It leaves out the essential part of the mystery, and so the Church then rejects that. says, no, it's, it's not just appearances of the Father and different names for the Father or for God in different situations, like I might be a teacher to my students, I'm a priest when I celebrate the Mass on Sunday, I'm a brother when I go home to see my family, different names, different identities, but I'm just one person. But that wouldn't be the way to understand the Trinity. It's not just different names for one person who is God, it's a threefold identity, three distinct persons in the one God. And so civilianism or modalism didn't capture the mystery that Jesus revealed, and so the Church rejected that and said, no, this this isn't what we believe, but gradually trying to hammer out what it is that we believe, sometimes in a way of um, 
denial. Say, no, it's not that. It's hard to say what it is, but it's certainly not that. It's just not just three appearances of one person. So that becomes more and more clear then. So yeah, no, there's something at stake there. Uh, so the church, um, I think, also through the um, the action of the spirit, seeing that that isn't the way we believe. There's a principle too that the law of uh, belief is like the law of prayer, the lex orandi, lex credendi. Mm -hmm. And as the church realizes how it's praying, it's praying to the Father through the Son in the Spirit, it's baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, gradually coming to realize through the way it's praying what its real belief is. And that belief then becomes more explicit through the councils of the church as they try to hammer out language to say what they're believing but the belief is there implicitly even before the language is hammered out, and the belief is present there I think, in the prayer of the Church. Mm -hmm. We're talking today with Father Michael Dodds, a Dominican friar from the province of the Most Holy Name of Jesus. Go check him out over at opwest.org. There's some fantastic work being done there. He's also a professor of philosophy and theology at the Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology in Berkeley. That's at dspt.edu. There's more to this conversation, just like there's more to the mystery of the Trinity. Right after this, join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and boy, are we talking about the foundations today as we are exploring the mystery of the Trinity, of, of who God is, his nature and his persons. To help us unravel that and wrap our minds around it, we're speaking with Father Michael Dodds, a Dominican friar from out west, Find out more information about the Dominicans on the West Coast by going to OP, Order of Preachers, opwest.org. Father Dodd, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. Happy to be here. We're talking about the Trinity, which is a, a dangerous topic if we want to stay, uh, you know, orthodox and, and right thinking with our theology, because it's so easy to go off the rails uh, with coming up with some analogy of trying to, to picture God. Uh, because God is, as, as one of the components of, of his nature, is that he is inscrutable. We can't scrutinize or understand or grasp the totality of who God is. And yet throughout history, we've attempted to, uh, sometimes more successfully than others. I think most people, as we think about the Trinity, we call to mind St. Patrick, talking with, uh, with the pagan people and using the three-leaf clover mm -hmm. to express knowledge of God uh, as Trinity. And, and it worked because those people came to, in some way, gain a deeper understanding of who God was, and, and that helped in the conversion of that island to Christianity. And yet even that has its shortcomings as we try to wrap our minds around who God is as a trinity of persons, yet one in essence as uh, the divine being. It's something like what uh, theology does to try to speak about God, speak about a mystery that evidently goes beyond what we can understand. And 
we know that whatever we say is always going to fall short of the mystery itself, of the beauty of the reality of God. So one thing we don't want to do is kind of reduce God to something we can wrap our minds around, which would be easy enough to do if we just said, okay, there are three gods, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's understandable. That would be logical, but that isn't the truth of the faith. So not tritheism, not subordinationism, where, oh, you've really got is one God who's the Father, and then you've got a Son and Holy Spirit who are less than the Father, not really God. And that also is understandable, but that is not the revelation. That's not our faith. So what theologians do is to try to find a model, a way of talking about that. And in some ways, it's similar to what scientists do. Scientists start with the data of their observation, and then they try to figure out why that's the case, you know? Mm-hmm. So you think of astronomy and in the uh, Middle Ages and so on, a, an Earth-centered universe, Ptolemy's idea of the Earth-centered universe with epicycles and circles around it, and it worked, you know? They could predict the motion of the planets and so on. Newton came along uh, with a sun-centered universe, and that also worked. Einstein comes along with another model for the way gravity works in the universe. One model replaces the next, and yet the data of the observation of science remains in some ways stable. Each of those models is trying to say something, get at that. And it's similar in theology, only we don't have data of observation. What we have is a sense data of revelation. God has spoken to us and told us about himself. And in the New Testament, tells us about the life of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, So the church then tries to figure out a way of talking about that model. St. Augustine came up with the idea of a mind knowing and loving itself. That would be like the Trinity in some way. Richard of St. Victor talked about the nature of love, which demands an other to be loved, and then a third with whom they can share that love. So the dynamism of love becomes the model for Richard of St. Victor. And... For St. Patrick, then, the model was simply the shamrock, the three-leafed clover, to show how there could be a way of modeling three who are still somehow one. Every model falls short. God isn't simply the mind knowing and loving itself, at least as we would understand it. God's love goes beyond the analogy of Richard of St. Victor and certainly goes beyond the St. Patrick's idea of the shamrock. But each of those models can be helpful. Each of them can uh, allow us to penetrate in some ways the mystery of God and to steer ourselves clear of ways that become logically attractive, you know, like subordinationism. We talked about uh, modalism before, tritheism, all of those things that could be kind of logical and understandable but aren't the way that God reveals himself. So we struggle along, try to come up with models for um, speaking about uh, the mystery of God. Now, you, you said something in that, uh, in that explanation that I think is easy to be missed, but, but I think maybe holds the key to us, for us, about these models. Because as you were talking about, uh, specifically, I think, talking about St. Patrick, you, you talked about the shamrock being like the Trinity in some way. Whereas I think mm-hmm. very often we tend to think of, oh, the Trinity is like this. And we try to explain it and, and 
try to fit the Trinity into our model rather than trying to show our model somehow mirrors maybe imperfectly the Trinity. And just by switching the subject there, I think you you point very importantly uh, to what is stable rather than uh, what is just the mirror. Right. No, I think it's important. It's a good distinction to get that straight. That we don't want to cram the reality of God into the tininess of our of our modeling of God, but rather um, the model itself becomes something utterly inadequate and yet can be helpful at pointing to the reality we want to talk about. One theologian, or I think part of the church says, says our theology, you know, God is like the sun, you know, brilliant, and our human mind like a little candle. So what we do, we come up with a model, we invent something in our head, and it's helpful to us, but in reality, it's like taking out a candle and holding it up so you can see the sun better by the light of your candle. You know, the reality of God overwhelms us, and yet, the because of the way our minds are limited themselves, these models can be helpful. And there have been others. I mean, in the Fathers of the Church, too, there was a model of the plant with its roots that it has, and then the stalk that it has, and then the leaf or the flower. So again, the three and one, it's like St. Patrick's shamrock, um, but equally, of course, inadequate, and yet it can in some ways be helpful. Mm-hmm. We're talking today with Father Michael Dodds about the Trinity, and there's, I think it's St. Augustine who talks about walking on the seashore as he's contemplating the mystery of God and, and seeing a small child with a bucket filling it up with the water of the ocean and coming and dumping it in this hole that he dug. And he asked the child what he was doing, and he said, uh, I'm, I'm moving the ocean to this hole, and he kind of laughed to himself, and then the Holy Spirit came and said, it's kind of like you trying to fit the mystery of the Trinity into that head of yours. Yes, yes, that's a beautiful story. Uh-huh. That's what we're all trying to do, but not, I think, as if it's an act of desperation, but it's... <laughs> It's really a kind of an, an exercise in the mystery of love. When people fall in love, they want to know more and more about each other. That's just the dynamics of love. So God loves us into existence and awakens love in us. And love for us then also means uh, wanting to know more and more about God, knowing that we can never enter into that mystery completely, at least in this life. And and yet we're drawn to that. And so if the central mystery of God's life is expressed in the truth of the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then if we are in love with God, we're wanting to try to penetrate deeper and deeper into that mystery. So it's not just our heads that's leading us. This is kind of a little puzzle. It's fun to do, but it's our hearts that are leading us because we want to know more and more. We want to grasp more and more of the the mystery of God and whatever help we can find in these models we come up with, it's it's all to the good. Um, but the models certainly aren't ends in themselves, and the ideas that we have of God are not ends in themselves. All of this is leading us from our hearts into the life of God, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Now, as we're drawn in love to, to get to know more about, about the Father, about the Son, about the Holy Spirit, talk to me about what it is— uh, Benef- how it's beneficial to us, the layperson, to delve into the mysteries of God and maybe even to go so far as to uh, expand our theological knowledge 
uh, beyond okay. small books, but delving into the fathers. What does this do for us uh, in our Christian life, in our relationship with Jesus, to pursue these mysteries, uh, and rather than just kind of sitting in in awe of the fact that it is a mystery? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, one experiences that or one enters into that through one's own prayer. I know uh, Pope Francis has, in some of his talks, encouraged people to pray to the Holy Spirit, you know. I know my mom, she, she, at one point, she said, she's praying more and more to the Holy Spirit, you know, situations in the family, this and that, different troubles, and just to pray to the Holy Spirit, that in some ways most mysterious person of the Trinity, uh, and yet have and develop that kind of a relationship, confidence in the Spirit of God who is with us. Um, so I think it's in that way, and certainly Jesus comes as the revelation of God, so having that deep relationship with Christ in prayer, depending on Him, leads us also into the mystery of God. Uh, so, But more of a, as a adventure of the heart, you know? So it's through that dialogue that we have with God, a strange kind of dialogue. We we speak and God answers, but God answers in silence all, often because words can't express the, the nearness of God, the reality of God. And yet that still is a kind of, of dialogue. So I think that's part of the life of every Christian to have that kind of conversation with God that goes on in formal times of prayer, but also in informal times of moments of prayer, moments when we find just <laughs> one one guy I know says it, he just has one prayer, it's very short, or two actually. First prayer is help <laughs> for certain situations, and his second prayer is thanks. So that's kind of our relationship, our dialogue with God, always to be um, inviting God to be part of our lives, and that means that we're becoming part of the life of God as well. So that life of the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is is part of our own um, mystical, in a sense, a Christian experience, and as we get to know and to love God more through our own prayer, and certainly through the sacraments, you know, baptism initiates us into the life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but then gift of confirmation, special gift of the Spirit, once again, already received in baptism, but now kind of for the purpose of witnessing to the truth of the gospel. So just as the apostles had recognized the truth in Christ's death and resurrection, that's kind of like us in the sacrament of baptism, baptized into the death and resurrection of Christ. But then on Pentecost, they go out into the world. And so also with us, with confirmation, a special gift for that special purpose of witnessing to our faith, the new evangelization, and that's our, our, our own activity as, as Christians. So uh, it's in those ways uh, that the Trinity becomes more a reality in our lives, not just something that we think about, but something we, we live our lives in that mystery. We've been talking today with Father Michael Dodds. He's a professor of philosophy and theology at the Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology in Berkeley, California. There's more to this conversation with him for those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and learn how you can support the show and get extra content. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Today, we have been talking about the Trinity. Of course, last Sunday was Trinity Sunday, and uh, we wrestle with this idea, with this, this revelation of God, that He is both one God, as we read all throughout Scripture, I, as we see in the, the book of Deuteronomy, uh, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Right? We, we have this revealed to us in Scripture. And then we also have revealed to us through Jesus Christ and by the revelation of the Holy Spirit that God is a communion of persons. And so we have to wrestle with that paradox. And yet we're in Christianity quite used to paradox uh, because God is merciful and God is just, right? Uh, God is is transcendent, meaning that he is, is above all things, and yet he's also imminent, which means he's close to us, that God is not aloof, and yet God is also far beyond our understanding, that the God who made the entire universe also, uh, who, who cannot be contained by time or space, yet allowed himself to be contained in the womb of Mary. And so here we have this God of paradox who comes to us and says, I'm going to reveal some things to you. I'm going to tell you a bit about who I am, and I don't expect you to be able to fully understand it. We use our rationality. We use our knowledge. We use uh, the, the tools that God has given us, and yet we have to realize that even on our best day, God's wisdom looks like foolishness to us. We don't completely understand it, and we can't. Some things we have to rest in the mystery of. It doesn't mean we don't try to find ways to explain it. As, as Father Michael was talking about, we look for models that can help us express and somehow understand a bit more about God. But we have to be willing, at least a little bit, to live in the balance between this paradox with this this uncomfortability of, of not knowing. If you missed any part of the show or you want to share it with someone else, have no fear. It's archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. While you're there, there's an extra segment with Father Michael where he talks a little bit about his vocation story, uh, and that's available to all those who support the show through Patreon. So while you're there at OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link and see all of the segments that we have available. Uh, and for as little as $5 a month, you get access to the segment we produce every week uh, to give to those supporters. Let's turn our attention now, though, over to our reading from Scripture and from church history. Uh, both of these readings today come from the breviary for the day of Trinity Sunday. Our Scripture today comes from the first letter of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians. As for myself, brothers, when I came to you, I did not come proclaiming God's testimony with any particular eloquence or wisdom. No, I determined that while I was with you, I would speak of nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. When I came among you, it was in weakness and fear and with much trepidation. My message and my preaching had none of the persuasive force of wise argumentation, but the convincing power of the Spirit. As a consequence, your faith rests not on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. There is, to be sure, a certain wisdom which we expressed among the spiritually mature. It is not a wisdom of this age, however, nor of the rulers of this age, who are men headed for destruction. 
No, what we utter is God's wisdom, a mysterious, a hidden wisdom. God planned it before all ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew the mystery. If they had known it, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. Of this wisdom it is written, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it so much as dawned on man what God has prepared for those who love him. Yet God has revealed this wisdom to us through the Spirit. The Spirit scrutinizes all matters, even the deep things of God. Who, for example, knows a man's inmost self but the man's own spirit within him? Similarly, no one knows what lies at the depths of God but the Spirit of God. The Spirit we have received is not the world's Spirit, but God's Spirit, helping us to recognize the gifts He has given us. We speak of these not in words of human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, thus interpreting spiritual things in spiritual terms. The natural man does not accept what is taught by the Spirit of God. For him, that is absurdity. He cannot come to know such teaching because it must be appraised in a spiritual way. The spiritual man, on the other hand, can appraise everything, though he himself can be appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That reading comes from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Our letter from church history today comes from uh, the first letter to Serapion by St. Athanasius, a bishop who lived in Alexandria in the 4th century. It will not be out of place to consider the ancient tradition, teaching, and faith of the Catholic Church, which was revealed by the Lord, proclaimed by the apostles, and guarded by the fathers. For upon this faith the Church is built. And if anyone were to lapse from it, he would no longer be a Christian either in fact or in name. We acknowledge the Trinity, holy and perfect, to consist of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In this Trinity, there is no intrusion of any alien element or of anything from outside, nor is the Trinity a blend of creative and created being. It is a holy, creative, and energizing reality, self-consistent and undivided in its active power. For the Father makes all things through the Word and in the Holy Spirit. And in this way, the unity of the Holy Trinity is preserved. Accordingly, in the Church, one God is preached, one God who is above all things and through all things and in all things. God is above all things as Father, for He is principle and source. He is through all things, through the Word, and He is in all things in the Holy Spirit. Writing to the Corinthians about spiritual matters, Paul traces all reality back to one God, the Father, saying, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of working, but it is the same God who inspires them all in everyone. Even the gifts that the Spirit dispenses to individuals are given by the Father through the Word. For all that belongs to the Father also belongs to the Son. And so the graces given by the Son in the Spirit are true gifts of the Father. Similarly, when the Spirit dwells in us, the Word who bestows the Spirit is in us too. 
and the Father is present in the Word. This is the meaning of the text, My Father and I will come to Him and make our home with Him. For where the light is, there also is the radiance, and where the radiance is, there too are its power and its resplendent grace. This is also Paul's teaching in the second letter to the Corinthians. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. For grace and the gift of the Trinity are given by the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit. Just as grace is given from the Father through the Son, there could be no communication of the gift to us except in the Holy Spirit. But when we share in the Spirit, we possess the love of the Father, the grace of the Son, and the fellowship of the Spirit Himself. That reading comes from a letter to Serapion by St. Athanasius. And it's the minor things, the little grammatical turns, that seem to be catching my attention today. Earlier, as we were talking with Father Michael, uh, it's this idea that when we use uh, some model, some theological model or analogy to help understand the Trinity, he, he did something that I'm going to be doing from now on, is to talk about the the analogy as being like God rather than God being like the analogy, because that makes God the subject and the analogy the 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 mirror of it rather than having the analogy be the subject, because uh, it's the smaller thing, right? You can't fit God into an analogy, but you might be able to hold an analogy over God and have a little bit of a shadow there and some kind of, of uh, correlation. Uh, similarly here, the, the small little turn of phrase is all in the prepositions. Uh, so I encourage you, as you read through scripture as you do the readings of mass, which I encourage you to do uh, every day. They're all available over on the USCCB website, usccb.org. There's a little calendar over in the right-hand corner, and you can see for five minutes the the readings of the day. As you're doing that, and it talks, starts to talk about God, or Jesus starts to talk about the Father or the Spirit, pay attention to the prepositional phrases with and through and in, and we even have that in Mass, uh, right, right, it towards the end at the elevation, uh, with Him and through Him and in Him, right? Oh God, Almighty Father, we have these prepositional phrases that sometimes we just don't even pay attention to, and yet they are so profound in what they teach us about the nature of God. And I'm not alone in encouraging you to to read the readings for daily Mass uh, on Instagram this last week. Pope Francis had this little one-minute video that he recorded that encouraged us all to take the two to ten minutes, really probably two to five minutes that it takes each day, to read the daily readings of Mass. So I encourage you, uh, take my advice, and if you won't take mine, take Pope Francis' advice, and read the Gospels this week. See if it makes a difference in your spiritual life. That's all the time we have for you today. Today's show is brought to you by Ryan and Sarah Jepson and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and join their numbers. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.